Good morning, Trinity family. Today's scripture reading comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee, Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who is called barren. For no thing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. This is the word of the Lord. Hallelujah. His word is good. Hey, well, good morning and welcome. My name is Jonathan. Get to serve as a pastor of this church. Glad that you can be here with us. Uh, one of the things that we think deeply about uh, with regards to faith and Christianity is the concept of questions. Uh, if you are outside of Christianity and somebody has brought you or maybe you have felt something tugging, maybe it was a part of your past and you've decided to make it at least an exploration in the present, we're glad that you're here. Uh, we fully realize that coming into a new space, new people, uh, dealing with ultimate issues, ultimate things, talking about God and how he shapes a life is a big conversation. But if that describes you or if you've been a Christian for a long time, but you really haven't had the chance to go into the, the question marks of your faith or some of the unique aspects of being a Christian, which there are many, this is a perfect season for you to show up because we're going to wrestle with faith. We're going to wrestle with the beginning of the gospel and all of your questions are welcomed because the people at the beginning of the story are filled with questions too. So we're excited you're here. We've entitled our Advent series, A Thrill of Hope, right? A weary world rejoicing. So a thrill of hope this week, the announcement of Jesus. But let me jump in. Scott Erickson, in a book entitled Honest Advent, he writes, wonder is most accessible in new situations because we don't have a narrative about what's happening. Have you ever traveled overseas? You may know the experience of getting off the train in a city you've never visited before, overwhelmed by the beautiful architecture and sights and sounds all around you and thinking, this is the most beautiful city that I have ever seen. Then three days later, you say, I'm so bored as you board the train to go to the next city. What happened? Did the city change? No, you did. You got familiar with everything 
and the wonder went away. Right. This year we're going to refuse to the best of our ability to let wonder drift away. We are going to lean into awe again. And we're going to invite the Holy Spirit to make the glory of God with us. That's what this season is about. Either it's true or it's not. Either you should be in the room listening or you should say, it's a fable, I'm out. God with us. We want to make that glorious again. And we're going to pray for the restoration of what we're going to call like a childlike spirit that refuses to grow up into cynicism or apathy or resignation. Are you with me in that? Yeah, let's do that. Let's pray for that. Let's see how God moves. I've got three movements for you today. We're going to look at wonder, challenge, and willing. Okay, from Luke 1. Wonder, challenge, and willing. First, the wonder of Christmas. Look again at verse 26. Verse 26 says, In the sixth month, the angel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. All right, let's jump into this. If you heard me say something like this, you are the apple of my eye. You are the peanut butter to my jelly, girl. Like you are the Justin to my Bieber, okay? All right? You're the sunshine in my sky. You would know that I was having an ordinary text conversation with my wife. Right? That's how we talk to each other. But having picked up my phone to reread this incredible expression of love and devotion, I doubt anybody would say this. Tell me more about this. Is your wife really the peanut butter, right? the Justin to your Bieber, the sunshine in your sky? Is she really those things? And you'd go, well, yes, but no, right? No. You would understand symbolism. You would understand metaphor and simile perfectly chosen in order to bless her and love her and talk about what we have together as a couple. But you would not think any of that was literal. There are places in the Bible where you can lean into symbolism and metaphor and simile and look for the deeper meaning. But let me just simply say the beginning of the Gospels, what you've heard read today, is not one of those places. You are not allowed to read the beginning of the Christmas narrative in that way where you're looking for a metaphor. You're looking for something deeper that's going to give meaning to the moment, okay? The Gospels are theologically driven, biographical accounts offered by firsthand eyewitnesses as to actual historical events in the life of Jesus. In fact, the author of this book that we're preaching from over Advent, Luke, he tells us as much in the first two verses. Look at those two two verses with me. Luke is telling the audience this. Many have undertaken to drop an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us. I just need to tell you what's happened. Just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses. He's going, this is an eyewitness account. It's insane. This has never happened in human history. But I'd like to give you an account. There were people there, eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning. By the way, Luke is a physician. 
He's very intelligent. He's very observant. He sees the world well, and he has tried to simply capture what people have seen. It says, I too decided to write an orderly account for you. See, our story does not begin once upon a time. It begins in the days of Herod, king of Judea, when Quirinius was governor of Syria. In other words, real time, real history. And in real space, in a real town where somebody was really governing, Luke tells us that an angel, a messenger from heaven, shows up to a young girl by the name of Mary. Mary, as you may know, was probably between ages 13 and 15 years old. She was betrothed to a man by the name of Joseph, and the text tells us that she was a virgin. And one commentator writes this about Mary. For all indicators, her life would not be extraordinary. She would marry humbly, give birth to numerous poor children, never travel further than a few miles from home, and one day die like thousands of others before her, a nobody in a nothing town in the middle of nowhere. Mary was from Nazareth, which is this backwater mapped out with nothing to recommend it. And the text tells us that this young woman finds favor with God. The text tells us that there's actually nothing significant, nothing to set her apart. There are other traditions that say that Mary was very unique. What our text tells us, at least biblically, is that Mary was extremely ordinary. Nothing to recommend her, simply that she finds favor with God. If you are a Christian, you have found favor with God. By grace, through faith, God sees you and he extends love towards you. That's what we read about Mary. She's extremely ordinary, and yet she finds favor with God. Look to verse 28. Verse 20, 28 says, And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And some of you may immediately respond by saying, ah, how naive. Right? An angel comes to speak with Mary, but notice Mary's reaction. I'm so glad that Luke includes this in the story. You know what he says? He says that when Mary has this conversation, Mary is greatly troubled. Like it doesn't make sense. Angels don't show up. Most modern people assume pre-scientific people were gullible and naive, but Mary faced the same intellectual barriers that you face and that I face. And in fact, I think it's more accurate to say that it required an angel to show up for Mary and Joseph to believe what they were hearing and to overcome the intellectual barriers. Look at verse 31 with me. Verse 31 says, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. A little bit of a translation. The baby Mary would conceive would be the son of God, son of the most high, fully human with Mary as his mother and fully God 
conceived in her womb by the overshadowing presence of the Holy Spirit. And of course, here begins to be baked in the wonder of Christmas. God was coming to our planet in extreme humility and even poverty, born of a virgin peasant with no resume, right? No money, no bright future, but with Mary simply as the object of God's grace and his favor. Listen to what one Old Testament commentator by the name of Daryl Bach writes. He says, the fact that his birth was like any other common birth says a lot about the great lengths God goes to in order to identify with the most humble people of the world. God may be the God of the universe, but he is no elitist. And like, that's the wonder of our faith. That's the wonder of Christmas. God steps into our shoes, like literally. He puts on skin. He knows pain. He knows cold and hurt and rejection and abandonment. He knows what it's like to want and to not get, to love and to not have it reciprocated and to give and to have others only take from you. You see, Christianity tells us, Christmas tells us that the God of Christianity understands you from the inside. This is the wonder of Christianity. He has experienced it too, a non-sanitized version of life on our planet. Jesus Christ gets us. He has tremendous sympathy. He understands you from the inside like a counselor might or like a wonderful counselor would, right? The wonder of who this God is and what it means for him to be fully man, fully God, born in the way that he was born. Our God is no elitist, right? Part two, the challenge of Christmas. A Christian author, Rebecca McLaughlin, she holds a PhD out of Cambridge. She writes, for many, the angel is the fairy on top of the Christmas tree of implausibility. A virgin birth, wise men guided by a star, it seems the stuff of fairy tales. Of course, there are intellectual aspects to the story of Christmas, things that you're going to have to wrestle through and think about. If God is who he says he is, is it implausible that he shows up in the way that he shows up? Probably more implausible that he shows up with Mary as his mother than that God could conceive through the Holy Spirit, in a human being's womb. Man, if he's created everything, if he's created you, he can do anything. If he's not part of the narrative, this doesn't make sense, but the story doesn't make sense. There are things you're gonna need to think deeply about related to Christianity, the beginning of the story of Jesus on our planet, for sure. But what I wanna talk about with regards to the challenge of Christmas is what's actually baked into the message of Christmas itself. When you listen carefully to the words that Gabriel announced, you hear him telling Mary that despite the fact that she's a virgin, she's going to have a son and he will be called great. He's going to sit on the throne of David forever and ever. Here's what he's saying. God is lowering himself to come to you. Why? Because you could never reach him on your own. That's the message. 
baked into Christmas. The gift of God's son is saying something. It has an implication. I've heard Tim Keller talk about the implications of gifts that you might receive. Let's just assume that you're a small business owner. You have 100 employees. 99 of them give you the same book for Christmas. And it says basically how not to be a jerk at work. You might think that the gift you have been given has an implication for your leadership style. A wife gives her husband a gift for Christmas. It's a pair of running shoes and a scale. It's got implications. What she's saying is, I love you deeply, but it's time to work on the dad bod. Like, it's time to do something about this. Gifts have implications. So, what is Christmas telling us? The message of Christmas is saying that you need to be rescued that you need a type of inner healing that you could never secure on your own effort. You need a savior to rescue and to redeem you from your sin. Mary here in verse 31, and then Joseph in Matthew 1, 21, both of them were independently told, you shall call this baby Jesus because he's gonna save his people from their sins. The message of Christmas is an incredible challenge. You are the type of person who needs rescue who needs healing, who needs saving. Sin is a pandemic killer. It's spread to every nation and to every single human heart. But there is this thrill of hope that is rising in the person of Jesus Christ so that a weary world that says, what is wrong with us? Why does war after war keep happening? Why do people keep invading? Why is there tension in my marriage? Why don't my children love me? Why can't I be kind? Why can't I do what I really know I ought to do, but I can never pull it off, man? It's because they are a sinner. Something going on in every single human heart that needs redemption. It needs rescue. It needs somebody to show up and say, I am a savior. But this is baked into Christianity. This is the message of Christmas. And this means, friends, that we don't get to choose how we relate to Jesus. It's not an option presented to us to simply treat him as a teacher or a voice of reason or a champion for the downtrodden or a symbol of love and compassion or somebody to admire and recommend and emulate. No, Jesus is God himself sent to save his people from their sin. He's Lord, not little helper. He's Savior. He is not sidelined sidekick. He's king. And he's not absentee landlord. The angel Gabriel informs Mary and Joseph, that's the, tells them that the baby's name would be Jesus. Informs them, tells them. One of the unique things that a parent gets to do is to choose the name of their own child. Not in this case. Not Mary and Joseph. And this is God's way of saying, you don't get to name him. You don't get to direct him. You don't get to tell him what to do. He gets to name you. He gets to direct you. He gets to tell you what to do. How come? Because he's God. That's why. Right? Because he's God. All of us need this baby's arrival. He has come to rescue us, to offer healing and forgiveness and family 
and welcomed. You know who's left out of the Christmas story? The proud and the self-sufficient. In Luke 5, 31, Jesus says, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And this is the challenge of Christmas. There's no way for you to save yourself. So Jesus shows up in your world. Yes, it's sentimental. Yes, I look forward to beauty and decoration. Yes, you look forward to Christmas Eve and waking up in the morning. But as a Christian, what you're saying is, this is a hard story, but it's accurate. It tells me about my life, about my heart, about what I need. I'm broken. I need redemption. I needed that baby and he's come. And so there's hope. So not just the wonder of Christmas, but the challenge of Christmas. And then thirdly, we'll wrap up with this. Willing as our response to Christmas. Look at verse 34. Verse 34 says, And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy the son of God and behold your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. What do we learn about how we respond to a moment where God breaks into your life, a response of faith, what are we going to learn from Mary's response? Don't miss this. Like one moment she is envisioning a wedding. She's thinking about decor. She's thinking about who she's going to invite. She's wondering what it's going to look like when they begin to set up their first home. She's saying, we're going to live with Joseph's parents. We're going to live with my parents. Like what are we going to do as we're setting up this new life together? That is her vision. It's very narrow. As I told you where she's come from, she's got really no hopes, no resume, no future, very ordinary. She's thinking about marrying this man who is most likely an arranged marriage. She's going to make the most of it. And then an angel shows up and says, you might need to stop thinking about the wedding. You got a baby coming. He's going to grow in your womb through the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. He's going to be God himself in you. His name's Jesus, which means he saves people. You know what she says to that? Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. My friends, do not miss the fallout in her life if she accepts this message and she brings it into her life. In a small town, people are really quickly going to put two and two together. Mary's baby was going to arrive on a timetable that would not allow for nine months of marriage. In a severe shame and honor society like this, Mary would have received the scarlet letter of infidelity or adultery. Scholar N.T. Wright, he says, the ancient world didn't know about X and Y chromosomes, but they knew as well as we do that babies were the result of sexual intercourse and that people who claimed to be pregnant by any other means might well be covering up a moral and social offense. Listen, Mary was a woman at the bottom of the social ladder. And what she's saying is, I'm gonna go even lower if I accept this into my life. 
And what she says to the angel is, let it be to me according to your word. Look, she could have said, I'm a peasant from nowhere. Don't you see my life? Like the only reason I've been selected is because you've shown me grace. I get that. Like you have shown me favor. God has been gracious to me. He's been kind to me. I've kind of got a little bit of a future with this man. But if you bring this into my life, I'm going to be ridiculed. I'm going to be pushed out. I'm going to be demeaned. I'm not going to be welcomed. People are going to whisper. There's going to be all sorts of gossip. How can this save the world? To which the angel would have said, I get it. But what's impossible with you is possible with God. Mary, you've been selected. You were the one to carry this baby into the world. And Luke tells us that Mary does not like negotiate terms. You know what she does? She surrenders. It's the only proper response of Christmas. God is coming to love you. And he sees you. He sees everything about you. He's coming into your planet, into your world. And if you accept it, it's going to disrupt everything. That's what it means to be a Christian. Like God is going to rearrange everything in your world and in your life. There's no other way. Like you bring God into your life. Yeah, my, God, my life's the same. It didn't change at all. Yeah, I'm a Christian. I brought God into my life. He dwells in my life. He dwells in my heart. He directs my mind, my emotions, my will, my world. Nothing changed. That's not the message of Christianity. What we see from this woman is this willing surrender. She knows where she's headed if she accepts it, and yet she accepts it. And what's so unique for you on the other side of Christmas and the other side of Easter is that those words show up on the mouth of Jesus again, don't they? Something so similar to what Mary said. Let it be to me according to your will. Not my will, Father, but your will. We see the exact same words on Jesus' lips at the end of his life. Which means that you are welcomed into a relationship with a God who has surrendered his will for you. Only proper response of Christianity. Not negotiation. You can have part of this. Let's make up a contract. You get a little bit of me. You can have all of me. Let it be to me according to your word. Man, I trust you. You can have my heart. You can have all of it. Mary could do it. She didn't even see the cross. You have seen who Jesus is. You've seen how he lived. You see that there's a thrill of hope making its way into so many human hearts and communities. You know that God is on the move. You know that the Holy Spirit has been sent. You know that just like Mary, God lives in those who have found favor. This is the response of Christmas. I want you to wonder about it. I want you to question it. I want you to receive it. I want there to be awe again. I want you to lean in, not out. I want you to know that on December 25th by 5 p.m., all of those things you thought were going to bring you happiness are going to start to fade. The gifts have been opened. Things are going to start to change. You're going to start looking towards New Year's just like that. But not if the meaning of Christmas is from Luke. It's the gospel. You have a Savior. Lean into the wonder this year, yes? Let's lean into that together. Let's pray. Jesus, we don't want to let wonder drift 
and that our God has come, that he's faithful, that he's good, that he's for us. I thank you so much for your love for us. We thank you so much for what you've done to come to our planet. It's easy to hear it again. Yeah, yeah, I know God. He came. He was born to a woman. I don't know a lot about her. I don't know a lot about Joseph. Yes, yes, yes. Holy Spirit, let us hear again. Let us wonder again. Let our minds be just touched again. Let the wounds in our hearts be healed again by the arrival and the thrill of hope that is Jesus. Lord, I know that there are people in this room who are Christian and many who are not, who are questioning the story of your reality. And so we pray for your Holy Spirit's presence to be working. Not to be forcing people into a way of thinking or into a way of faith or into a way of believing that is manipulative. By no means. We have to think and to think well. But we do pray that your spirit would meet us in our questions. That you'd be kind to us and gracious to us. That you would awaken wonder again and help us to lean forward and not out. Pull us in, we pray, by grace. Let us feel the wonder of Jesus in his name. Amen.